She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... Earthquakes. This episode was written and produced by Alex Pomantinov. And he wrote the last one as well. And again, there's no director listed for this episode. Guess that wasn't a role they wanted to fill. This series is hosted and narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And this episode originally aired on Saturday, May 7th, 1977. Hmm. Yeah. So we open with some black and white footage of what we'll learn is Alaska and the ocean. And Nimoy says... In 1964, two crewmen aboard an Alaskan freighter captured on film the eruption of a giant earthquake. While taking shots of the dock below, it struck. As the earth trembled, the harbor was sucked dry. A chasm opened beside the ship. A huge tidal wave smashed in. Much of Alaska was shaken apart. (gasps) Now we get our opening credits where it tells us we're going to be talking about extraterrestrials and missing persons and all sorts of exciting stuff. Just saying. And then Nimoy comes back and he says, earthquakes are nature's most frightening events. When the earth is at war with itself, there is no place to hide. (gasps) And then more credits. And then we get in search of earthquakes whoa earthquakes yep very very mysterious (laughs) and then of course we get our producer's warning that we deal in theory and conjecture and this might not be the only solution to a mystery although i don't know there's really a mystery here talking about earthquakes so yeah yeah so as tori hinted lost civilizations extraterrestrials myths and monsters missing persons magic and witchcraft unexplained phenomena like i don't see earthquakes or fucking bees honestly to be honest with you like in there anywhere like i don't know what slot they fit into like alex like you're you know come on write me some more interesting episodes please please at least we're not talking about lie detectors on plants or salad or yo play so that's good but still yeah yeah i kind of wonder if there was some sort of thing where they're like we're a scientific program like nova so we have to make sure that we have some legitimate <laughs> even though we're gonna throw shade at nova and not mention <laughs> that in the previous yeah. but i mean if they want to rival nova they have to be like well we have to have some serious scientific topics so let's talk about killer bees and earthquakes yeah yeah i don't yeah. know yeah. yeah, but I agree. Like you and I talked off air when we were talking about what these episodes were going to be, especially the last two, the, the killer bees and the earthquake. And we're like, really? Really? And we were like, okay, well, the earthquake, they're probably going to talk about this maybe, or they could go this angle. And they really don't do either of those. <laughs> any of the <laughs> topics we came up with are like ways to make it like, ooh, like kind of don't use any of those topics. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So we start, and Nimoy tells us that mankind has spoken of earthquakes for thousands of years. The ancient Greeks believed earthquakes were caused by the dead fighting amongst themselves underground. And Japanese folklore tells us that earthquakes are caused by the movement of a giant spider that carries the earth on its back. But today, 
we believe in science because ancient people were silly. <laughs> talked about dead people well, and, and giant spiders and, and, and so. folklore doesn't have to be i mean folklore even ancient people understood that folklore was not necessarily the real yeah situation yeah. so you know? yeah i'm sure i'm I, <laughs> I, I really want like our modern times to be based on like the fiction of the period please like i know right because that's please pretty don't. much what it is <laughs> yeah so anyway so then we learned that even with science earthquakes still strike suddenly and without warning and then we talk about, obviously, the great San Francisco earthquake, which happened on April 18th, 1906. It was great. And it it was it was great in its magnitude, not necessarily like a good thing, obviously. Oh. The quake and resulting fires destroyed over 28,000 buildings. It left over 150,000 people homeless, which is just, I mean, it literally devastated most of the city. So like all those apartments, all those townhouses just gone and 450 people died. So it was obviously a catastrophic event that definitely changed the makeup of San Francisco, which was basically rebuilt. My understanding is that the fires actually did way more damage than the earthquakes did yeah i think because it like the shaking did a lot of damage but then Mm -hmm. also like the actual fires well like we talked about with this in seattle when we did the cultic episode like back everything was freaking made out of wood right fire does a lot of damage i mean it can it can mess up like concrete and steel and stuff too but like if your stuff's made out of wood fire is gonna be like thank you so and it's gonna spread way faster and like a lot of people were still using gas lamps i'm sure and like gas Mm -hmm. lines and so lots of gas lines electricity was relatively new so that probably did not help either because they Mm -hmm. probably weren't like i mean electricity is still a prop when there's like earthquakes or wind or anything so yeah you know down power lines and stuff never touch one if you see one don't if you ever if your car ever hits a power line don't like step on the ground, like jump clear. There's all sorts of stuff like to think about with power because it's dangerous. <laughs> Electricity is dangerous. Anyway, then Nimoy tells us that the earth is alive and ever changing. And inside the earth, there are dynamic forces of unimaginable strength. Then we see lava. Yeah, mm. lava is pretty cool. The earth's crust is formed of a dozen gigantic plates. And because the plates are like not fixed, they're always like bumping together and pushing each other apart. And so that's where earthquakes tend to happen is at the seams of those plates where the plates are having interactions like crashing together or there's pressure building up as they push against each other. Yeah. And this episode, they do mention that this was only he actually says this was only learned recently. Mm-hmm. And he's not wrong because like the idea of continental drift was only first suggested in 1912. And then the theory of plate tectonics was only formally defined and accepted by geologists in a series of papers between 1965 and 1967. So it's only been like 10 years since we understood the like plate tectonic stuff when this episode comes out. Yeah, that's kind of, so wild to think about. Yeah. It's really recent. So these plates average 80 miles in thickness and they move due to forces that, quote, we know very little about. They, quote, float like rafts on the Earth's soft mantle, but they do not float freely. And when the plates touch, there is constant strain and pressure. So there's a lot of 
know, they rub together, they push together. That causes a lot of stuff to happen up on the surface. Yeah. And then we talk about the San Andreas Fault. <gasps> Which you and I are both from California. So we know lots mm-hmm. about the San Andreas yeah. Fault. And there's a lot of visual evidence with the San Andreas Fault. You can just like see with your own eyes too, which is mm-hmm. nice. probably another reason why they chose it aside from being California. So. Mm-hmm. So in Hollister, California, the gradual slippage can be seen along the fault and it shows like how streets don't quite line up and like fences get kind of wonky because the ground moves so they're no longer straight. And in Southern California near Los Angeles, the fault looks like a rocky ravine. For the last hundred years, it has been locked into place, but eventually it must catch up to the other moving sections. (sighs) When rock resists the pressure to move, it bends and distorts until it breaks. That is an earthquake. Whoa. So on Friday, March 10th, 1933, there was an earthquake that was captured on film during a Hollywood like film shoot. Like they were filming when the earthquake started. So they, they captured like actual footage of the earthquake. Yeah, and the actors feels. are all like, yeah, yeah they're all like. Oh, what's that? And then they're like, everyone, you know, everyone rush out and everyone get into the clear kind of thing. The epicenter was in Long Beach, 40 miles away, and 115 people were killed. The death toll would have been far worse if it had occurred two hours earlier when schools were still in session because the schools in Long Beach suffered the most structural damage. So they just basically completely collapsed. So if kids had been in those classrooms and teachers, it would have been a way bigger catastrophe which seems to be a thing it's like why do we have so much trouble building schools that don't just fall apart like every time there's like anywhere in the world like there'll be an earthquake and it's like the school like other other buildings will be fine the schools are all like fall down i don't know don't put much money into building schools i do get that they're also large gatherings of people but just the buildings themselves seem to be far less like able to handle earthquakes but at least back in the day. Yeah, I don't know. But then we see computers. Yes. Yeah. Computers. And then we hear that subtle movements and changes in magnetic fields might precede a quake. So this might be a way for us to predict earthquakes. With computers. Yes. Checking for magnetic fields. And Dr. Peter Ward, the chief of the branch of seismology, a group of 140 scientists and staff, at the United States Geological Survey in Menlo Park, California, is one of the people working on ways to predict earthquakes. And we learned that an earthquake will occur in Southern California. We just don't know when. And I, and I think they're talking about a big earthquake because obviously earthquakes happen in Southern California like constantly. Yeah. I have friends in Southern California and like every other week, my Twitter is full of people going, oh, there was a quake. <laughs> so it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty regular. But they mean, yeah, they mean a big one because as we mentioned, like in Southern California, things really haven't moved very much and so there's a lot when there's a lot of buildup that's when you know there's going to be a big one because otherwise ideally it just kind of slowly moves like up in Hollister so it's not a big deal but when it doesn't move that's when you get all that built-up pressure and that's Mm -hmm. when you're in trouble so science has been able to predict small localized quakes which is cool and one of the things they use is a tilt meter which tiltometer sounds way cooler People need to hire me to name things because tiltometer is awesome. And I thought maybe I did think, well, maybe tiltometer was used. There is no such thing as a tiltometer. And so they could have totally called it a tiltometer. It just sounds better. It's not awesome. Nick is very good at naming things. That's one of his many skills. It is. And then we see lasers. Yay, lasers. Yeah. 
because they also use lasers in mm-hmm. addition to tilt meters. And we learned that in Central California, about 10 earthquakes are recorded every day. Most of these are pretty minor, so most people don't even feel them. But yeah. And that is where I grew up in Central California. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I'm aware. And then they talk about the bulge in the Mojave Desert, which is this like area where the ground has started to bulge up because the plates are pushing together. And it has apparently grown over 10 inches in height in 15 years. So that is like evidence of the plates like ramming together and creating that pressure. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there was a quake in the Mojave Desert not too long ago. I actually have a list later of some notable quakes Okay. in California. I actually think I left the Mojave one off that list, but there was one recently. And then Dr. Ward comes back and he's talking about if there's a big LA earthquake, if it happens during the day, and this is based on 1977, like population numbers, but he predicts that if an earthquake like that were to happen in the daytime, 12,000 people could die. If it happened at night, it would only be 3,000. And that's by virtue of people being out and about and in crowded buildings and office buildings and stuff, right? And if the dams fail, tens of thousands of people could die. That's fun to think about. Yeah. And then we're back at the Port of Valdez in Alaska. And we learned that on March 27th, 1964, that's when that earthquake was filmed from the boat with the eight millimeter film. And so we get more of that footage and we learned that a 50 foot tidal wave formed 20 miles off the coast. It slammed into the port, which that's, oof, that's a lot of water. And water Mm -hmm. at that level is very like forceful. Like the impact is very bad. Half a million square miles were affected. Down power lines exploded oil tanks, which resulted in uncontrollable fires. And elsewhere, ruptured gas mains set off house fires and all sorts of other problems. And of course, liquefaction of the earth happens during a major quake, which can drop the land 30 feet. So roads can literally just sink 30 feet in a second. Mm -hmm. And it was the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in North America at a 9.2 magnitude. Pop, pop. Pop, pop. Sorry, it's a community joke magnitude. (laughs) The character here says pop, pop. Okay. Anyway, sorry. 114 people were killed and 5,000 were left homeless. And I imagine that's got to be those numbers being relatively low for like the largest recorded earthquake ever in North America. That is because not a lot of people live in Alaska. Yeah, it's. So, I think it's because of the lower population. For because sure. it did affect yeah. a huge. I mean, like Anchorage everywhere. It wasn't like only like that area. Like the entire, basically the entire coast of like Alaska, which is obviously our largest state because it is freaking huge. So yeah, we do see on the film that they're recording, and before the uh, quake happens, there's some dogs on the dock, and the dogs are whining. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and also. Given what happened, I am freaking amazed that this film exists, honestly. Right. And was not just like washed away to sea or something because like they're standing in the port that was hit by the tidal wave. I know. So So I don't know how that worked, but yeah, yeah. it's pretty impressive. And then again, we talk about how scientists are trying to find new ways to predict quakes. Yep. And we can do it with quasars even. Oh, I know. I thought that was interesting. They're like, we can do it for flares with quasars. Yeah, because apparently they 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 have like dishes set up on opposite sides of the San Andreas Fault, and they both are aimed at the same quasar. And like the super micro timing between when they're received can tell them that it's moved because there's that seems that seems 
like overkill, honestly. But I mean, you got lasers and tilt meters. I don't know if you need quasars, but hey, cool. I guess, you know, you can get that money. Sweet. Yeah. I'm sure you get to use that stuff for other things too. So it's probably, you know, yeah, probably. Yeah. And then this is the part that Nick was like, I bet this is what the episode is about. Like, I bet Mm -hmm. this is the angle they're taking, which is the fact that animal behavior has been reported for hundreds of years to be a little funny right before an earthquake. So like animals will act weird and then an earthquake happens. So can animals predict an earthquake? I know. Can they? And we spend about maybe if we're lucky 60 seconds on that and then move on. Yeah. They talk about apes, dogs and horses acting funny. And then they mention cockroaches and how they're studying if cockroaches behavior changes before a quake and they can use that to predict, I guess. So, yep. And then we get some really fun fear mongering about what's going to happen on March 10th, 1982, which if I had watched this in the 70s as a kid would have kept me up all night until March 10th, 1982. Except you weren't even born when this I was wasn't. supposed to happen. So you could have never existed if this had happened. Yeah. Luckily, that is not the case. But basically, all nine planets will form a straight line on one side of the sun. Which they that's a little exaggeration. They're basically just all like on one side like if you draw a line cutting the solar system in half they're kind of like all on one side it's not yeah it's more like a scatter plot than a line but anyway and then two british astronomers tell us that we're basically screwed and march 10th 1982 is going to be the end of the world so you know be prepared guys and as in search of 10th to do they kind of subtweet this they don't tell you who they're talking about so i went and looked and i found out that it was british astrophysicist and science writer john gribben and then also British astronomer Stephen Plagman in their best-selling 1974 book, The Jupiter Effect. So mm. that's what they wrote about how this is all going to happen, and it's going to cause earthquakes and sunspots and solar radiation, and the weather's going to go crazy, and the winds are actually going to... The episode says the wind is going to slow down the planet. When I was reading about the book, they say that they mentioned that the wind was going to speed up the planet. Either way, we got some like Superman action, like make the world spin backwards to turn back time kind of thing going on. I don't know how it works, Mm -hmm. but anyway, obviously didn't happen. So then in April, 1982, remember this supposed to happen in March. So in April, they wrote another book called the Jupiter (laughs) effect reconsidered. And they theorized that the effect had actually taken place in 1980. Cause apparently even though they formed this super alignment, it was like it was like a 10 year thing, like it could take up to 10 years to take effect kind of thing. So they were like, oh, it actually mm-hmm. happened earlier in 80. And that's why Mount St. Helens blew up was because of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course. That makes yeah. sense. The yeah. thing that made me most excited really about this I am Spock moment. was that we get some syzygy. Yeah, I was going to say a planetary alignment. That sounds very familiar. Yeah. 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 In a. Uh, discussion of the book and how it didn't really happen or whatever there was an article from the new york times and i like that little quote it says for worry warts the next grand syzygy is may 19th 2161 when eight planets excluding pluto will be found within 69 degrees of each other according to astronomers at the kitt peak national observatory 
and I'll have a link to the New York Times article for that. But I did what maybe interesting was one, it was we had the syzygy thing, and so I was like, syzygy, but also in a way, it's almost like they're predicting the fact that we're going to demote Pluto and not count it as a planet because, like, we're saying, like, the eight planets excluding Pluto because nobody cares about Pluto, Pluto doesn't count anyway. Poor so, Pluto. I mean, it's not a planet. It's just a piece of rock that happens to be floating out there, like oh, all the other ones there. It's just a like planet it. in my heart, oh. and in the heart of every kid in the eighties who learned the planets. <laughs> <laughs> we still love you, Pluto. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Anyway, and then the episode basically ends by telling us that another huge earthquake in San Francisco is inevitable and then has really dire predictions about what will happen when that quake happens and all the places that it'll affect really badly. And I was like, I'm just going to skim through this because I don't want to think about this. And also, it's like, very detailed. This is really it is very old. Detailed. It is very detailed. And a lot of the buildings that have been built since obviously have been built with like higher you know earthquake ratings and they know how to like build buildings to like withstand some of that stuff but yeah i mean if there's a huge freaking earthquake obviously that's only going to go so far Mm -hmm. but yeah and then we get the final narration and nimoy tells us that this is the projection for a disaster that will probably occur we just don't know when perhaps one day we will predict and control our planet's violent quakes until then, we are well advised to look for warnings in any form and heed them if there's time. For over 4 billion years, earthquakes have shaken and reshaped the Earth's surface. They are a violent expression of our planet's continuing evolution. In California, along the San Andreas Fault, the frequency of earthquakes is high. Yet an active fault line cuts through New York City at 125th Street between the Hudson and East Rivers. The regions around Boston and Charleston, South Carolina have as high a seismic risk as Los Angeles or San Francisco. So basically you're not safe if you're on the East Coast, jerks. You're not safe anywhere. (laughs) You're looking at this and going, ha, screw you, California. Because when the Earth battles itself, nowhere is safe. Yeah. In fact, the U.S. Coast and Geodetic Survey now the National Geodetic Survey, NGS, has determined that one-third of our nation's population lives in areas of high earthquake probability. Science is challenging the idea that earthquakes are unpredictable, yet we are still far from understanding the powerful forces that are working deep within our planet. Ooh, I would have, if we're going for the drama, I would have gone with like, the powerful forces that lie below our very feet or like lie below the cities we call home. Like if you're <laughs> going to really go for it, you got to really. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Like, yeah. Like deep within our planet. Not, yeah. So what I also found interesting was the U S coast and geodetic survey. Cause I was looking that up to see like if it still existed or if it had been merged or another thing. And so I found out it's now called just the national geodetic survey. It actually changed its name in 1970 to the national geodetic survey. So they huh. were calling it by like an old name in seventy-seven. Yeah. That's funny. Anyway, so um, as you may have guessed, Tori and I were both like super into this episode. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot to talk about. And I really, we don't <laughs> actually. But I did do some look because we ha- in the past we've had scientists who, and he doesn't seem that strange, but sometimes I like to delve into the people they talk to just to see like what they've done. And because we've had a, we've had a couple of, 
nutters who actually had really successful like real science careers and then kind of like took all that patent money and went off the deep end but so i looked at dr peter ward and he studied micro earthquakes associated with active fault systems and volcanic eruptions throughout the western united states alaska hawaii iceland central america and the east african rift system he actually developed a prototype global volcano surveillance system that relayed data through the ERTS satellite. Nice. Get some firewalker action too. He was like a volcanologist kind of. Yeah. I was not familiar with the ERTS satellite, so I looked it up, and it is the Earth Resources Technology Satellite, which is known as ERTS-1. It was launched in space on July 23rd, 1972. It was the first Earth observing satellite launched to monitor and study our planet's land masses. It's also known as ERTSA for some reason. I have no idea why. But it was renamed the Landsat 1 in 1975 and then was active until January of 1978 when it was decommissioned nice. and probably like brought down in a controlled crash. Mm-hmm. I imagine. So he led the branch of seismology at USGS. He played a role in development and the initial management of the National Earthquake Hazards Reduction Program. The branch of seismology eventually became the branch of earthquake mechanics and prediction, which conducted scientific research aimed at predicting the time of occurrence of damaging earthquakes at a time when such research appeared like it actually might be possible. Like maybe we could do it. Like they were studying all around the world. And so people were like, maybe we can predict earthquakes. That's kind of not really, it didn't pan out. Like we kind of can't predict earthquakes. Like we can. No, we can watch and we can see levels and like seismic activity, but we can't predict when they're going to go, you know, big or not. Yeah. Yeah. And then I took a little sampling of quakes that have happened since the episode. So just since the episode, Wikipedia notes 40 notable California quakes since 1977. So again, we're just focusing on California. Tori and I are both California dudes. The episode tends to focus on California. So, and these are all that had magnitudes of 5.0 or above. And then of that 40, I kind of picked some ones that I kind of thought were just interesting. There was one in Eureka in Northern California. I have family who lives in Eureka. So on November 8th, 1980, that was a 7.3. So wow. That's actually that's actually the biggest of the ones that I chose from. 7.3. On May 2nd in 1983, there was one in Kalinga in the Central Valley, which was really close. And I remember that one because our place shook really because we're kind of close to Kalinga. Mm-hmm. And so it shook, shook, shook. That was 6.2. Oh wow. That was the that was the biggest earthquake that I personally ever experienced. So there was one in Morgan Hill. On April 24th in 1984, which is in the South Bay, Morgan Hill is about halfway between San Jose and Hollister. I mm-hmm. actually almost moved to Morgan Hill at one point working for the Department of Agriculture. I was going to nice. And I decided not to because I was stupid and was like, I have a girlfriend. I don't want to leave her. And then we broke up later. <laughs> could have had a career with the Department of Agriculture. And I blew it because of uh, It's okay. I could have gone into the Forest Service and I blew that too. <laughs> Dumbass. I could have yeah, had a I mean, great, I, like, and I was going to be like, I was going to be like one of like the, the in charge people too at this location. I was, oh, I was, man. I was on my way. I was like 19. Uh, yeah. This. No, I was like 20 something and I could have just yeah, worked and for I the Forest Service. I, I mean, just, I did work with the Forest Service briefly, but I could have just kept doing government it. Government pension. So, yeah. Good job, Nick. yeah. Anyway, that was a 6.2. Then we have. Two that I think probably people know. Actually, people probably know one of these, but the first one is interesting because it kind of falls in that prediction thing. 
So the first one was on August 8th of 1989, and it is uh, Loma Prieta. It was in Santa Cruz Mountains. It was 5.4. One person died. This is the first on the list where someone actually died also. Mm -hmm. So that one, in hindsight, was almost a predictor of a coming quake. So it was like a predecessor quake. Because you have aftershocks. This was kind of what they called a, I think they call it like a forma shock. Okay. Like that. I can't remember exactly, but it's like it's like it's kind of you don't. The thing is, you don't really know that it's a it's a lead-in quake until after it happens because you never know. But anyway, on October seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine, there was a very famous quake, which is often called the World Series quake because uh, it happened during the World uh, Series. It's also the Loma Prieta, but that's the one. It's same location, Santa Cruz Mountains. That was a six point nine. So the second highest of the one. There were 63 deaths in that. It was caught on film because they were having the cross Bay world series with San Francisco and Oakland. And so there are jokes about Wrigley field being called Wiggly field because it was was caught on camera and then they actually preempted it and went like to reruns of like Roseanne and stuff. They had them stand by in case it was rain, but so like it was caught on camera during their world series. So Mm -hmm. one that a lot of people know about, and then talking about the LA area, we had the Northridge earthquake on January 17th, 1994. And that was a 6.7 and there were 57 deaths. So yikes. Yeah. I don't know what earthquake it was, but there was one in the nineties around 94, 95, that was five point something. And it was close to how I think by the time it got to us, it was like four point something. But like, I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and like feeling that one. There were a couple other small ones that I remember just like living through, <laughs> but I don't remember which ones they were or when they happened. You know, I just remember being like, oh, earthquake. <laughs> yeah. We're in 94. Would this have been in Lake Tahoe? Well, we could feel it in Lake Tahoe. I don't think it originated in Lake Tahoe. Okay. It was somewhere else. Uh, and then we okay. could like feel it up there, but I can't remember okay. exactly. And it was 94. And if I, I might've been 96, I don't have a great memory for the stuff. Yeah. I just remember. Like, there's, there's not anything on the list they have of the notable ones, which I say are all like five and above between the Northridge, which was 94. And there was one in 99 that is in Eastern California. That was a 7.1. That might have been one of them that I felt. But depending on how close it was, even like something lower than a five, you're going to feel it. Yeah, exactly. So, So, yeah, yeah, I don't remember. Whether it's damage or not. So Yeah. And it wasn't, it didn't do any damage in Tahoe. It just, yeah. And even that one, the Hector Mine one, even though it was 7.1, again, because Eastern California is not very populated, that one had no deaths either. So. That doesn't mean it didn't do damage. It was yeah, earthquakes are so. scary, but like I've lived with earthquakes, so they don't freak me out as much as like tornadoes. Like I've never been in a tornado and I don't know how people deal with it, but I think it's just kind of you get used to the stuff in your area. <laughs> yeah, you, you learn how to you know cope with it, I guess, but it's just, I don't know, freaks me out more. So yeah, the other thing that Tori and I were super surprised was not mentioned this episode, which we thought was going to come up was the whole California falling into the ocean. Yeah, will so. California be torn into? And they didn't bring, which is good because I mean that is kind of ridiculous. But you know, yeah. Also, no psychics. I thought maybe they'd do some psychics as a way of like predicting earthquakes. I thought they'd go into psychics, but no, no psychics. No psychics. A brief mention of animal behavior, which I thought was going to be a big thing, and then no California falling into the sea. So, yeah. So maybe they are trying to be more sciencey and less. Yeah. Ooh. So. Because they, they're trying to make up for their future woo-woo where they get to, 
they get into some of the weirder oh, stuff. Future, maybe. Woo, woo. Ooh, well, I mean, I'm hoping. Fingers crossed, right? We'll see. Let's go in search of some of that magic and witchcraft they talked about in the opening. Yeah. I mean, we still have found like X-Files adjacent stuff in all these so far. So That's true. That's very yeah. true. We're doing pretty good. Phew. No false advertising here. So thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, thank you. We always appreciate it. And we hope you're enjoying these episodes, even if maybe some of the content is not what you would expect, or at least not <laughs> what I would expect. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being a supporter and thank you for listening. This is also only one of your bonus episodes this week. And your other one is definitely X-Files related. So Nice. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Join us next time for another episode of In Search Of. We're not going to tell you what. We're going to do it in the credits, so we'll do it then, which yep. is going to be right now. Bye. We're just going to roll over there. Bye. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next Wednesday as we go in search of The Mummy's Curse. And try to figure out if If the the truth truth is is still out there. there. Alaska or Arkansas? Isn't Alaska K? I thought Arkansas was K. No, Arkansas is AR. Oh, shit. Okay. Because what would Alaska be? I don't know. Because Alabama is AL. AA? <laughs> no, that's 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 when you have a problem with drinking. <laughs> no state wants to be the AA state. <laughs> I mean, Alaska probably would be a good choice. but Yeah, it's um, true. <clears throat> I don't know. I always forget the state signifiers. In my old job, when I was doing insurance stuff, I had to like always look those up. It used to drive me crazy. No, but yeah, no, because Arkansas is AR. Okay. Because Arizona is AZ. And then, mm-hmm. so yeah, they had, yeah, I know we, had a lot of a, we had a lot of A states. So they had to, they had to like, fuck, we can't keep using the same letters. That's true. It's true. We do have a lot of A yeah. states. <laughs>